0: We're going to just read this chapter as we come to the text here again this morning. Verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been made, even as I've been fully known. So now faith, hope and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we just thank you. Uh, that we could gather around your word this morning, Lord, that we have the opportunity to just uh, be taught by your spirit and to have you open up things to our hearts and to our minds. And Lord, we ask your blessing upon uh, your word. I Thank you, Lord, that uh, you've come that we might have life and have it to the full. And you are love, Lord. Uh, you are gracious. You are kind. You are patient. You are the very things that we read about here this morning Lord and you just uh, long to meet us and encourage us and strengthen us from the word this morning and so God we just ask for a spirit of wisdom spirit of revelation that we might know you better we pray that your spirit would just empower the things that are said and that your word would take root in our hearts and transform our lives in Jesus name amen great passage we took a peek at it cracked into it last week and started to um, look at the first seven verses here. And we know this from Scripture, and we, we saw this even last week, that this is a great picture of Jesus, that the Bible tells us that God is, that God is love. And as I go through a passage like this, certainly uh, we see the nature of God, but we also, as we hold ourselves up against a passage like this, see our own, our own shortcomings, our own failure, uh, to meet this and um, if we are left to the work of the flesh in our own strength fulfilling what is accomplished here and what, what this, this passage speaks about is totally impossible. It's been said about this passage that this is like trying to describe a rose to someone who doesn't see or like trying to describe a sunset to someone who lives in the darkness as it speaks about love. And We talked about this last week as we come to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 here. And what Paul is talking about, he's not describing the love of friendship. He's not describing the love of affection like we would have for a, a pet or something that is special to us. He's not describing physical love between a man and a woman. But he is describing here what we would call divine love, agape love. We love because God first loved us. God is love. And God revealed his love to us through the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And this description perfectly fits Jesus. And as the love of God is shed abroad into our heart through the person of Jesus, we increasingly um, can reflect what we read about here, this love, agape love. So last week I said agape love Love sacrificially. It's a self-giving love. Uh, in fact, it's said that real love can be defined as sacrifice. Agape love is a love that is about action. As Paul's talking here, he's not talking about feelings. He's not talking about emotions, but he's talking about uh, love as a choice. A life that chooses to be ruled by God. And love by choice. And as we think about the Corinthian church and just our series uh, through 1 Corinthians here, certainly the the Corinthian church struggled to, as you think about them, they struggled to be a church that lay hold of a love that was self denying. They were pushing themselves to the forefront. They were arguing about, uh, you know, their favorite teachers and this and that. And as Paul has been writing to them and talking to them about the gifts of the Spirit, about the unity of the body in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and before he can discuss that further and discuss in chapter 14 the manifestation of the spirit and the working of the gifts in orderly worship he first has to address this matter of love because love is the litmus test for the working of God's spirit agape love a love that gives simply for the sake of giving A love that gives and expects nothing in return. And so before we kind of move on in this text, I think it's really valuable to just back the truck up and retrace where we've been, retrace our steps. Because this passage drives home the point that love is everything. Love is everything. And to stress that, uh, to point out the significance of that and the importance of love, Paul starts by talking about a life without love. Check it out again. Verse chapter one or verse one, sorry. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers, and understanding all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Nothing. And so we talked about this last week and saw this this lesson from Paul about the life of love. That the love of God needs to touch our hearts so that it affects our speech. The love of God needs to fill our intellects so that the actions of our lives and our thinking reflects the love of Christ. The love of God needs to uh, be the motivator for our will so that our life is directed by the love of God. And so we looked at the love of God affecting our heart, and our mind, and our will. If this morning, you know, I was thinking, you know, tw- 2015, who, who loved the old movie uh, Back to the Future? You Remember that movie? Well, this is the year, right? We don't have floating cars and all those sorts of things. But uh, I was thinking if we could pop into that Back to the Future machine and go back in time and go back to the days of the Old Testament and the days of the temple, and if we were go to go there this morning and to worship and visit the, the temple and stand on the outside of the temple and begin to observe all that was happening. If it was quiet enough that we could hear the noise inside the temple as the high priest was in there going about doing his work and his daily tasks, the sound that we would hear would be this: is the sound of bells ringing. The jingle of bells. Around the hem of the garment of the high priest were sewn uh, little bells. And between each bell, the scripture tells us, we saw this back in our series in Exodus, between the bell were little fruits woven out of different colors of blue and red and scarlet and uh, purple. And they were little pomegranates. And so all along the hem of the garment of the high priest were bell, pomegranate, bell, pomegranate, bell, pomegranate, all the way around. And as he was in the temple ministering to God, uh, doing his acts of worship, uh, offering sacrifices, seeking the Lord, uh, these bells would jingle and, and ring out. And as they rang out, they would ring in harmony towards one another. And though there were many bells around the hem of his garment, the bells didn't clash against one another. It wasn't the sound of two cymbals, the crashing and the clanging and the gonging. It was the harmonious sound of bells ringing out because between the bells was fruit to stop them from clashing. And the fruit of the spirit that keeps our lives from being noisy gongs And that keeps our lives from being noisy symbols is love. And Paul tells us here that a man can hold sway over over the crowd, over the throng with his silver tongue. But if he has not love, his sound is gongs and clangs. The tongue that speaks, the tongue speaks forth from the heart. And as the love of God fills the hearts of God's people, as they speak forth their voices ring out in harmony. Their voices proclaim the harmony that we can have with our creator, with our maker through the son, Jesus Christ. Paul says, if I, have not, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Think about what Jesus said. He said it takes faith just the size of a mustard seed and you can say to this mountain, be removed and it'll be picked up and cast into the sea. And here Paul talks about the man of faith and he says this, this man has all faith. Not just the muster seed of faith, but he has all faith. And though he moved mountains, forget mountains, he's not worth a hill of beans is the idea. Because he has not love. Prophetic powers understanding of mysteries, having all knowledge, having all faith, the exercises of his mind add up to nothing because it is not ruled by love, Paul says. It says in verse 3, if I give away all that I have and if I'm delivered, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Last week we talked about the prophets of Baal who slashed themselves trying to invoke their God. You know, you can blow yourself up for the God that you serve. You can give away all that you have. You can even do this. Did you know this? You can burn yourself out for the cause of Christ. Burn yourself out in serving Jesus. But without love, it counts for nothing. Again, nothing. The life without the love of God imparted to it, Paul said, adds up to nothing. Nothing. And so, if our lives are to go beyond the sound of noisy gongs and clanging cymbals, if we want our lives to add up to more than nothing, if we'd like to gain something from our lives, then the love of Christ has to rule in our hearts. The love of Christ has to rule in our minds. The love of Christ has to direct our wills. And the love of Christ must rule in all of those areas so that our lives produce a harmonious sound. So that our, our intellect is not found on the found wanting on the scales of God, so that um, our will doesn't count for nothing, but that we gain all things in Christ. And so the, the text goes on, it says this in verse four. The character and virtue of love, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Paul's description of love is so simple. We talked about it last week. It's just two words. He says love is patient and love is kind. That's it. That's it. I think, man, often I'm neither. I'm not one, or or I'm one and I'm not the other. You know, I'm I'm kind, but I'm impatient. I'm patient, and yet I'm becoming cynical and bitter about whatever the situation is in the midst of my waiting. And Paul says this, love is both patient and it's kind. And you know, often the mistake about God, the, the, the false view that people develop about God is that, that God is angry. You know, you've probably seen that bumper sticker that Jesus is coming back and he's mad. <laughs> Have you ever seen that bumper sticker? That God is vengeful and God is not. The scripture says here that he is patient and he is kind, that that's what love is. God is patient and is kind. Jesus bears With our shortcomings. In fact, he came to redeem us in the midst of our separation from God, to express God's love. Jesus is patient, Jesus is kind. And Paul tells us what love isn't love is not envious. Love is, uh, in regards to envy, not discontent. Love does not resent when someone else is blessed. Love does not resent when someone else experiences favor. He says love is not boastful. Love is not arrogant. Love doesn't puff up with itself. Love doesn't have to swell with pride. Love doesn't have to prove itself. He says love is not rude. Think about that. It's courteous. Love doesn't, you know, hold protest signs, I would say. And love does not stuff the gospel down someone's throat with a megaphone. Jesus, you know, you look at the the ministry of Jesus, Jesus never strived to prove himself. Jesus was so unrecognizable that on the night that he was betrayed, it, it took the kiss of a friend to identify him so that the soldiers would know who to arrest. It was his warmth. It was his integrity. It was his love that caused the crowds to flock to him like a shepherd, with his with their with his sheep, they knew that he cared for them. He knew that they knew that he loved them. Love is not rude. Paul says, "Love does not insist on its own way. Love is not irritable." He says, "I think, wow, not irritable. Our culture uh, falls in and out of love. You know, like you're changing your socks. Sometimes you wonder, wow, again." And, you know, it's totally normal for the the world's idea of of love to do so. And why? Because the love that they practice is irritable. It's easily provoked. It gets aggravated. It quits. It's a love that's reduced to emotion or a feeling. And Paul says, love is not irritable. You know, I can be irritating, (laughs) Some of you can be kind of irritating. But I'm so glad. You know what? Jesus is never irritated by me. Hard to believe, you know? Jesus is never irritated by you. He loves us. Love is not irritated. Paul says love is not resentful. Here's what love does. Love keeps a record of every act of kindness that's been done to it and is thankful. But it doesn't keep a record of offenses. Love does not keep a record of wrongs that have been committed against it. Love does not recount the injustices that it has received. And Think about Jesus again, of course. He's the example here all the way through. More than anyone, he was unjustly treated. And yet, for those who come to him in faith, the scripture says he no longer remembers their sin. He tosses it into the sea of Forgetfulness. Not to be recounted and not to be remembered, he does not have a list of offenses. Paul says, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. You know, the, in the book of Genesis, there's this neat story. It's kind of an odd story about Noah. After the whole flood account and all that stuff. The Bible tells us, of course, that Noah was a righteous man, but it recounts areas that he messed up too. And the Bible tells of a time when Noah got sipping on the wine, and got drunk, and he ended up falling down, passing out in his tent, naked. And it was through his own stupidity and his own iniquity, and one of his sons came into the tent, and he saw his father, unclothed, lying there, passed out. And the scripture says that that son went out, and he told the brothers what had happened. And then the scripture tells us that the two sons who heard about it Stretched out a garment between them. They backed into the tent. And without looking on their father's nakedness. They covered him up. And that's what love does. Love doesn't say did you hear. Love goes in and covers up. And does actions of love to respect others. Paul says love bears all things. Love believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. It bears all things. Love suffers wrong and doesn't retaliate. Love believes all things. It's not that it's naive, but love makes a choice to take a kind view of others, whatever the circumstance. Love hopes all things. Love does not surrender to despair, I would say. Love does not surrender to disappointment. Love endures all things. When everything is gone, when all has been left behind, in the face of all that seemed impossible, love will endure. Love cannot be conquered. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, love endures all things. And there's no greater example uh, of love than the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, we did that last week. We just read through this text and we put the name of Jesus in every spot where there... Where Paul spoke of love. And I would say as we read about this love. And we talk about uh, the person of Jesus. We need to recognize that this, this account of love here. That Paul talks about. Is the nature of God's heart towards us. The nature of God's heart towards you. And if you understand that. And if you can take hold of that. And as the spirit brings forth. The ability to recognize that in our own hearts. And in our own lives the same kind of love can flow through our lives that Jesus exemplified to us. And Paul here goes on in in, in verse 8 and he begins to talk about the enduring nature of love. And so let's check this out. Verse 8, he says this. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Love never ends. Love never ends. You know, previously, earlier on in this series, or a number of weeks back, uh, when we were talking about the Holy Spirit and the, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, I, I talked a couple different Sundays about this this idea that often when we were when we when we came to faith in Jesus Christ you know we were just so happy to know that our sins were forgiven we were so happy to know that we had received the gift of eternal life that nothing else mattered we didn't know that there was even greater things beyond that than just knowing my sins are forgiven that there that there could be more that i could ask god and he would fill me with the holy spirit and bring about Spirit-empowered living in my life. And as, you know, we've grown in the Lord from the day when we first got saved, we've learned that not only are are our sins forgiven, but every day we can ask God to fill us with His Spirit. That we can live uh, the Spirit-empowered life and that being filled with the Holy Spirit's not an event, but it's a lifestyle. It's something that we can have every day. And I think there is something similar here about love that we should draw from this chapter. See, love never ends. And I would say this, 100%, we are saved because we believe. Belief in Jesus Christ, in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection. We acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior, and that identifies us as part of the family of God, as part of his children, as part of the body of Christ, and Jesus saves us. But we so often as believers want to uh, distinguish our relationship with God by what we believe. We try to distinguish our relationship to the world by the things that we believe. And one of the things I think Paul here is saying is, is... What I believe doesn't so much matter to the world as much as how I love them matters. Look at what I believe matters. It matters. But the world does not care what I believe. The world cares how I love. The world cares how I love. And as I love, they'll begin to wonder what I believe. Do you understand? Paul says love never ends you think about love with that concept that it never ends it means this love never falls to the ground you know it's fall time it's beautiful out there our little street where we live the, f- the, the leaves have been falling they've been falling from the tree because there's decay in the leaves they're, le- they're letting go of the branches and they're falling to the ground but love doesn't fall to the ground there's no decay in love. Love does not lose its strength. Love is not like a worker that goes to work in the morning full of energy, but by the end of the day is, is tired and begins to take the foot off the gas. L- love is not like an athlete who goes onto the field and, and leaves it there, but, but is finished by the time the game is over. Love does not weary and love does not tire because love is inexhaustible. It never ends. Love never leaves its place because love is immovable. You know, in the summertime, ah, boy, you know, yesterday we went out. And had that fire down at the beach at Bonnie Brook. And it was just, the sky was just clear and beautiful. And as I was leaving, the stars were just starting to come out. And one of the things I love about a night like that is just staring at the stars and watching for what we call shooting stars or falling stars. So cool. We know that they're not really stars. And love is like that. Love, like a star. it doesn't leave its place. Love does not... Move. Love does not lose its spot. Love does not drop out of line like a poor exhausted soldier. Because love is tireless. Love patiently preserves and it can never fail. It is eternal, Paul says. Love is deathless. Love is never defeated. Love is never disillusioned. Love is never disappointed. And it's for those reasons that I would say this. Jesus is always worthy of your trust because God is love and Jesus is the expression of God's love. And Paul says this, he begins to use some things to compare the eternal nature of love and he he says this, prophecies, as for prophecies, they'll pass away. Prophecies will one day vanish because in heaven, when we get to heaven and we're with Jesus, we won't need words of edification. We won't need you know, words of exhortation or encouragement or comfort because we will be perfectly comforted in the presence of our God. We'll no longer need those things. Paul says tongues, they'll cease. As for tongues, they will cease. Unknown tongues will cease in heaven because everything will be known. You know, it's interesting, this verse, actually, there are those in the church, they're called cessationists. Have you ever heard that term before? Cessationists believe in the ceasing of the gifts. They take that word cease, cessation. And they use this verse to justify their belief that the gifts of the Spirit, and in particular the gifts of, of, of tongues, ended when the canon of Scripture was completed, when the Bible was finished. Um, and we're going to see here as we go on, in, ver- in verse 10, Paul's going to talk a little bit about the coming of perfect, that Paul is, is not talking about Perfection is not when the canon was completed. Perfection is when we're in the presence of God in heaven with Jesus. And the perfect refers to our arrival in the presence of God. Then Paul says unknown tongues will cease because everything will be known. He says knowledge is partial. As as for knowledge it will pass away. Knowledge will pass away because when we see Jesus, we'll have perfect knowledge. Prophecies, tongues, uh, and knowledge will end. And Paul is not pointing to the fact that these three things, prophecies, tongues, and knowledge, will have different fates. Paul is writing the same thing in three different ways, and he is saying this that in comparison to love, these things will come to an end, but love never will, it will endure. Verse 10, when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. See, uh, when Paul says that, he's not talking about the Bible. He's talking about seeing Jesus face to face. Hmm. When Jesus comes, there'll be no need for prophecy, for tongues, for knowledge. And you think about this life, even about prophecy, tongues, and knowledge, Everything in this life is imperfect. Have you noticed that? Figured that out yet? It's imperfect. But not love. Love is perfect. And that is the contrast Paul is making. All is partial except for love, which is enduring. He says in verse 11, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Giving up childish ways. You know, there are childish things that are appropriate for children, like dressing up in a costume and knocking on someone's door and saying, trick or treat. If I showed up, At your door dressed up, you know, like my daughter in a monkey suit last night and knocked on your door, you'd say, what a freak, right? Look, You come to a point when you pack those things away, and you don't do it. I came to a point when I put away my Transformers and my G.I. Joes, a long time ago. That said, I do like to play with Lego with my kids. (laughs) But just like a child recognizes as they mature and come into adulthood, there's a time when certain things get put to the side. Uh, forever. You, you're not, not going to play with toys forever. Uh, and Paul's talking here about uh, the gifts of the Spirit, of course, in the greater context. And they're, they're the gifts of the Spirit are appropriate for now, but for the present time. But they won't be appropriate forever. Not when we get to heaven, because we won't need them. He says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Now, I would say this. It's important that we don't think Paul is calling spiritual gifts childish. He's not. He's saying, he's not saying that as you mature, you outgrow your need for spiritual gifts. What he is saying is this. As we mature, it's important that we don't overemphasize gifts in place of love. See, it's always love first, gift second. Love first. We do not overemphasize the gifts at the expense of love. And in Corinth, that's exactly what was happening. In Corinth, they emphasized gifts and they put love in the back seat. They were not treating one another very well in that church. And it should have been the other way around. And that's the way of maturity. Love and the gifts function. Under that umbrella. Uh, Paul says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. I love that term, face to face, in the scripture. We see dimly, but one day we will see face to face. You know, when the sun comes up, it was nice to have the time change. There was only a couple people that showed up an hour early for church today, and I won't tell you who they were. (laughs) But you know, it was really nice. Betty. (laughs) Betty. I won't tell you who they were, Andrea. <laughs> and um, slip of the tongue. <laughs> you know, it was so nice to have the, the light seem like it was a little earlier today, wasn't it? And, you know, when the sun comes up, I turn off the lights in my house, some of the lights anyways, because I don't need those lesser lights to provide light because there's a greater light to provide light. And when we see Jesus face to face, we'll get to turn off the lesser lights, so to speak, of prophecy, of tongues, of knowledge. They'll be flipped off and we will behold him and we will have complete unhindered fellowship with God, what a thought, with the Father. When we get to heaven, we'll see the Lord as he is and there'll be no barriers between us and the Lord. That is what the term face to face means, no barriers between us. We read in Exodus chapter 33, verse 11, that that Moses, when he would go into the tent and be alone with the Lord, that he would speak to the Lord face to face as a man speaks to his friend. There was no hindrance for Moses. There was no hindrance for him in his relationship with God. He, He didn't actually see the face of God. I don't think that the scripture is saying that he actually saw the face of God. Because we know the scripture says no one could behold the glory of God and live. It's telling us that he had an unhindered relationship with God when it says that, that he spoke face to face as a man speaks with his friend. The Hebrew term that is used to describe face to face is this: it's el pane. El pane, face to face. It's interesting that the same term "alpine" is used in the creation account in Genesis chapter one verse two, and it says this there, that the spirit of God was hovering over the faces over the face of the water. Literally the term is face to face, the spirit and the water. That, that what that is telling us is this is that at creation, God's relationship with His creation was completely, unhindered there were no barriers there was nothing that served as an obstacle between God and his creation between the spirit of God and that which God had created nothing could separate creation from the love of its creator and that changed. we know when you get to Genesis chapter 3 when sin entered the picture Genesis 3 recounts the rebellion of Adam and Eve where they sinned against the law of God. They made a willful choice to rebel against him and sin entered the program and what was broken between God and man? El face to face. The relationship was severed. And God in his love for his creation, in his desire to have face to face, with his creation as the greatest expression of his love ever, he sent his son Jesus. Through an enduring act of love, he set Jesus to be the perfect sacrifice for the sin and rebellion of mankind. And we know Jesus was crucified, he died, he was buried for the sin of mankind, but the scripture says he was also raised to life. And by repentance of sin, from sin, And through faith in his name, in the name of Jesus, the scripture says we can be born again. Not of the flesh, but of the spirit. And we can enter into this relationship again with the Lord where, as Paul says elsewhere, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Through Jesus, the Holy Spirit, it, we, we are able to have relationship with God. And, and the Holy Spirit empowers us. He, he lives in us and dwells in us and empowers us to live for God today. And the Spirit, the scripture says, is the deposit to guarantee that perfect is coming. That one day it will be face to face. Face to face. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee. And El Panay, in my mind, also reveals this this face-to-face idea in Scripture reveals to us another secret. It's not not a secret that's meant to be hidden. When I say that word secret, it's it's a secret revealed. And it's the secret to the Spirit-filled life. What is it? The Holy Spirit hovered over the face of the water, the Scripture tells us. Water, Water is a picture of what? The Word of God. The Word of God and the Holy Spirit have a face-to-face relationship. The Spirit hovers over the Word of God. What a neat thought. He hovers over the Word of God in that face-to-face. And and if I'm to have and to experience the Spirit-filled life and to walk in this life of love that we read about here this morning, then it's necessary that I be filled with what? The Word of God, so that the Spirit of God may hover over me over us do you remember the first miracle that jesus performed john chapter 2 at the wedding in cana galilee when there was no wine jesus commanded the servants to take these jars and to fill them with water and then to take a sample of what was in the jar and to give it to the master of ceremonies at the at the wedding and you know the story, when the sample was brought to the host, he said this, everyone serves uh, the good wine first, and when the people have freely drunk, and then they give the poor wine, but you have saved the best for last. And water being a picture of the word of God, and wine being a picture for us of the spirit of God, and our lives, the Bible say, says, being like jars of clay. This is a great picture for here, for us. See at the wedding because Jesus was present. When the water went in wine came out. And so too in our lives when Jesus is present. When Jesus is present as Lord. As you fill your jar of clay with the water of God's word. Then the wine of God's spirit can flow from your life. For now we see in a mere di- dimly he says. He says. But then, face to face, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. You know what an awesome thought to know? We will know fully in heaven. You know, someone once asked uh, G. Campbell Morgan, he said this, uh, do you think we'll know our loved ones in heaven? It's It's a question people have, right? Do you think we'll know our loved one in heaven? And he said this, I don't expect to be a bigger fool in heaven than I am here. And I know my loved ones here. We'll know fully even as we have been fully known. You know, it's, a, it's an interesting thing that Paul grabs here. He, he says, we, we look in a mirror dimly now. It, it, Corinth, the city of Corinth was actually known for its production of mirrors. But they didn't have mirrors like we have today, you know, made out of glass. What they would do is they would take bronze and they would polish it and they'd put a high finish on it but it wouldn't reflect in the same way that we get reflection from our mirrors today. It, it was poor. It was hazy. It was dim, even though it was polished. And it was a great picture for the Corinthians. And we get the idea. We, we look at the mirror dimly and we see a poor reflection now. But one day, we'll see fully as we are fully known. You know, what a neat thought that God knows us fully. We don't fully know God. And we actually don't fully know each other. You know, you you ever just sense that in your relationships? You just say, man, we just, we love, but we're stuck at a certain level. We just can't ever get past that barrier. It won't be that way in heaven. We'll know each other fully. Not hidden behind the masks and the bravado and the pride and the things that stop us from getting to know one another. We'll know fully. We'll know God fully. We'll know one another fully. And so Paul says this in verse 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. You know faith, we know what faith is. It's being certain of that which we do not see. Confident. Faith has eyes. And the direction faith looks is backwards. Uh, We always think of it as looking forward, but I'm going to talk about this in a second. Faith uh, tells me that Jesus came. Faith tells me that God spoke his word and he created the heavens and the earth. Faith allows me to take hold of that which Christ has done for me. He, He died on the cross. Faith reminds me that my sins are forgiven because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And faith says, you don't have to worry about your past. The sins are forgiven. Transgressions are blotted out. God does not remember your sin against him. That's what faith sees as it looks backwards. Hope, in a sense, looks forward. Now hope. Hope. Looks forward. Hope tells me that Jesus is coming. Hope tells me that the church has a blessed hope. Hope reminds me that I don't have to be upset. Hope reminds me that I don't have to fear the future. Hope tells me that I don't have to worry about tomorrow because I have a savior and he's coming and I know where I'm going. Faith looks back. Hope looks forward. And sandwiched in the middle is love. And love lays hold of Jesus in the present, today. Love is about today. And love is motivated by my look backwards at the cross and love is motivated by my hope that looks forward. I look back and I say, I'm not, I'm not condemned by my past because Jesus took care of that. I'm not afraid of my future because I know where I'm going. Perfect's coming. I'll be with Jesus in heaven. And so I can live today and I can love in spite of whatever is happening around me because I'm laying hold of these two truths of the gospel. See, love sets me free to live for Jesus Christ today. Uh, Love frees me from the presence. That's why the scripture says that perfect love does what? It drives out fear. I don't have to be afraid today because of the faith that I know about the past Because of the hope that I hold about the future and because of the love of God that is present in my life today. And when we partner with God to to receive and live with that kind of love right now, today, I would say that that is this, the abundant life that Jesus talks about. The abundant life. Faith says Jesus came to save me, hope says Jesus is coming again to take me to be with him that I might be where he is, and love says and he dwells and he abides and he lives in my heart today. Like the old hymn, you ask me know I you ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. You know there are many believers, and maybe you're there this morning, who practice what's been called mattress spirituality. They know their sins are forgiven. they got no doubt about the past. They also know that they're going to heaven. They have no question about the future. The problem is the present. The problem is today. That's why it's called mattress spirituality because they're firm on two ends and they sag in the middle. (laughs) And God doesn't want, you know, It's nothing worse than a mattress like that, right? We had one of those mattresses, you know. It was like the hand-me-down when we first got married. It was a real joy when Lisa and I went and bought a new mattress. And we didn't have a sag in the middle mattress. And God doesn't want us to sag in the middle. As we, uh, by faith, lay hold of the work of the cross and by hope cling to the future, God wants us to walk in love today. God wants us as as Jesus lives in our lives and as the Holy Spirit empowers us to live out what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the life of love. You know, Jeremiah recalled, he would speak to his mind and he would say, Lamentations chapter 3 says this. He said, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. I mean, we read read here about what ceases. Prophecy, tongues, these things will cease. Knowledge. But the love of God will never cease. It is enduring and it lasts. The scripture says his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And so as Jeremiah lived in the moment, as he lived in the day that God had placed him, he said this, the Lord is my portion and I will hope in him. And God has strength for you today. God has hope for you today God desires that you walk by faith with him today. And the key is that you fill your life with the water of his word. And you allow the wine of the spirit to flow from your life. And the key is love. To walk in love in the midst of that. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest is love. You know, as I read that verse and as I was thinking about that verse, the word that jumps off the page to me is that word abide. So faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. And I'm reminded of words that Jesus said about abiding. Uh, The word abide means to dwell. Where you make your dwelling place, where you abide. Jesus said this. To the Jews who had believed in him. He said if you abide in my word. And my word abides in you. You are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. He Says you abide in my word. You make your dwelling place in my word. You establish your life in my word. You live by the promises of God. Then you are truly my disciples. And you'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Jesus said in John chapter 15. Verses 4 through 5. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot, cannot bear fruit by itself. Unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him. He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Nothing. As Paul started this t- chapter, he talked about the life that adds up to nothing. The life that accomplishes nothing, the life that's a noisy gong, the clanging cymbal, the life that gains nothing. And, and Paul said that, he, 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 s- he pointed us to this fact that it's the life without love. And, and Jesus said, whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. God is love. And as we make our abiding place in the word of God, as Jesus becomes our dwelling place, our home, our refuge, our strong tower, the name to which we run, the name to which we cling to, the name to which we place our hope and our faith. As we abide in the Lord Jesus Christ, he brings forth fruit. Our lives begin to count. Our lives to begin to sing forth the harmony of the gospel Our lives begin to add up to something for the kingdom. Through Christ, we do all things through him who strengthens us. Abide. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. John chapter 13 tells us that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, before the feast of the Passover, as things were just getting in order, as he knew that his hour had come, that the cross was before him, that he was going to depart out of this world, the scripture says that having loved his own, he loved them to the end. And that's the heart of Jesus for you and I. I'm telling you something about Jesus. Jesus will love you to the end. He will love you to the end. And so let's walk in love, church. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come. Would you guys stand with me as they're coming? We're gonna pray. And this morning, we're gonna receive uh, communion.